0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for GWBC radios open for business. Now here's your host. Lee Cantor here. Another episode of GWBC open for business. And this is going to be a good one. Today I have with me Tiffany Kent with Wealth Engagement. Welcome, Tiffany.
1: Thank you, Lee. Great to be here.
0: Well, I'm excited to learn about what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about Wealth Engagement. How are you serving folks?
1: Yeah, sure. So, Lee, um, just so that everyone knows, my name is Tiffany Kent, and I'm a certified financial planner um, and I'm the founder of Wealth Engagement, which is a registered investment advisory firm. Um, the way that I came about starting my own financial planning and investment management firm was by the way of my background. Um, so I was a portfolio manager in New York at hedge funds, uh, managing about $200 million, making money, picking stocks. And it was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I really enjoyed the work. But at some point in my life, as I got older, I realized I was missing kind of a connection with people. <laughs> I mean, if you imagine a woman be on Wall Street, you know, I don't have a lot of you know, really good, great buddies I'm seeing next to. So I went back to school after a little bit of a midlife crisis and realized that I Wanted to go back and become an advisor. The best way to become a financial advisor is to get something called a Certified Financial Planning credential. So this um, made me learn a lot about trust in the states without being a lawyer, about insurance without being an insurance person. I learned a lot about taxes without being a CPA. And I already knew financial planning and um, investment management from my prior life. And what this credential helps me do is that. I can be like the quarterback or the coach um, to a family or a woman business owner to help them think through all the different aspects of their complicated financial life. Um, and so I realized that while there's a lot of certified financial planners out there, there aren't a lot who have actually managed money. And so I decided that, that, that you know, the time was right. <laughs> About a year ago, I left a big um, Wall Street firm called Bernstein I started my own firm and I wanted to cater towards women business owners, Um, women, um, mostly and business owners. We put everything else ahead of our own selves. Like, so we put, you know, our, our, our business, our, our, you know, family, our husbands, our how is the dog, everything above our, of, of our own self. And we don't really take the time to make sure that we're doing what's best for us and how we're thinking about planning for our future. And so um, I love what I do. I love my firm. I love the clients that I've been able to attract so far. I love helping people. And it's been a great journey so far.
0: Now, can you talk a little bit about when you were younger and you were deciding what career path to go into, what drew you to the kind of stock picking side of it rather than the advising side? And, And did that inform, you know, after having a taste of that, did that make it easier then to make that switch to the people side of the business?
1: Yeah, Emily, that's a great question, because I think I do have a kind of unusual path. Um, I grew up in L.A. with my single mom, and I grew up in a very affluent community. I went to Beverly Hills High School. And while a lot of my friends were incredibly wealthy, um, I was not. And so my mom you know, got a, a single, I got an apartment, very small for me to be able to go to school in that area, which is a great school, by the way. And what I realized as I was growing up in this really affluent community is like, gosh, I wanna make money. (laughs) So what's the best way to make money is to work on Wall Street. So I pursued a career at at Goldman Sachs and investment banking. And then um, after, I don't know, one or two relationships, I I, um, I went to Harvard Business School, but then after I graduated from business school, I had one or two boyfriends that worked um, at hedge funds and on the buy side. And that seemed really intriguing to me. And so as I learned more about what it was like to be a stock picker and to develop your own track record, I thought, well, wow, that's something I wanna pursue. So I pursued that path and I loved it, as I said, and I had that great experience of developing my own track record, developing my reputation of being an expert in a particular industry of stocks that I followed. And it was fantastic. But as I said, like I managed, like I I didn't feel like I was connected with a lot of great friends. Um, and so as I was doing my soul searching, when I was in my early 40s, I was kind of having one of those m- typical midlife crises. Um, I I thought back to when I was a kid and living with my mom, my single mom in L.A. And I didn't realize it at the time, but um, she needs some help. And how I helped my mom was that I I basically had a balance her checkbook, came home one day from school and the lights were turned off or I don't know that the phone wasn't working, something very critical in, in a young teenager life. And so I decided to pitch in and, you know, figure out her finances. And so when I thought back to that experience, I'm like, wow, you know, helping my single mom as a kid really helped instill in me a sense of independence and, um, and responsibility at a pretty young age. And I said to myself, well, there's got to be other women who kind of want some help and some guidance um, in their financial lives as my mom once needed from me. And so that's what uh, led me to then switch my career to become more an advisor, and but still wear the hat as an investment manager.
0: Right. It sounds like your clients are getting the best of both worlds. They're getting an expert in the, you know, the very difficult part of choosing the right uh, places to invest, and also somebody who really understands, um, you know, how to relate to people and how to help them solve the problem they're really trying to solve. Where this is one aspect of that problem they're trying to solve.
1: Yeah, exactly. And the thing that holds most women back, and sometimes even guys, is that they know they have to plan and invest for their future, but the world looks so complicated, and the stock market is volatile, it can be very intimidating. And I help manage and guide them through that process. And what happens when, when you feel like something's too overwhelming, like investing, you just end up not doing it. And so, what happens is that women kind of start to fall behind, or people start to fall behind? They sit in too much cash. Um, they don't really prioritize their financial future, and that can create a lot of anxiety and uncertainty in somebody's, you know, personal um, lives. That it can create some angst and some um, frustrations. But by by hiring somebody who can help, not na- help you navigate through it, help you do a, a basic financial plan and help you think about what you want in the future, it can relieve a lot of stress. It can help you invest and actually you know, do financially much better <laughs> than if you were just to sit in cash.
0: Now, are your clients primarily people who have <clears throat> never done this kind of financial planning before and you're helping them do this for the first time? Or are they kind of veteran and you're helping them tweak a plan maybe they're frustrated with?
1: I think what happens <clears throat> is that I mean, most of my clients don't have a plan. Um, and so when I just take some basic information, I show them where the problems are and where the weaknesses are. And then we, we help you know, solve for those gaps. Once I do that financial plan and help them realize that they need to do certain things, then we can safely think about how much they should be safe, saving for the future, how much they should be investing um, for retirement or other, other priorities and it it takes a plan to help you get comfortable with how much money you want to risk. Because if you don't have a plan and you just let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars sitting in your bank account and you decide to invest it, but let's say there's a rainy day and there's something that you need to to fund because like I don't know, something uncertain happened that you weren't anticipating, you have to pull money out of the out of your investments to go fund that expenditure, that big expenditure. And that is probably not a great time. It's not great to be investing in the stock market for short term uncertainties. So the way to combat that is that you have to have money set aside and invest surplus cash that you feel comfortable with that you don't need to access the next, you know, three to five years.
0: Now, do you find that a lot of people get hung up because there's so many unknowns, right? So like if I'm investing for my future retirement, then I don't know how long I'm gonna live. Number one. Number two, I don't know um, what my health's going to be, you know, I, it could be great. It could be terrible. Um, and, and then, um, being asked to kind of guess, you know, to put away a certain amount of money for this uncertain future, it, it just seems very difficult, um, and overwhelming. And a lot of people, like you mentioned, probably just opt for, well, I won't do anything. And I would imagine it's better to do something than nothing. Uh, especially, uh, when it's your own business, if that's what you're running.
1: Yeah. And so the easiest way to address those uncertainties is to think about the things you can't control, which is when you're going to die (laughs) and basically the stock market and the things you can control are how much you save, how much you spend and how much money you make. So just think about that very first basic concept I just mentioned about savings. The best rule rule of thumb is to just save 20%. And here's like a Jedi mind trick. (laughs) You just automate your savings of 20% of your income. It's kind of like what Warren Buffett once said, and it reminds me of something that Yoda might say from star Wars is that he said this, do not save what is left after spending, but spend what is left after saving. (laughs) So if you're spending more than 80% of your income to support your current lifestyle, you're actually taking away from your future self. So it's, it's really important to kind of automate that savings of 20% um, and then you spend what's left over.
0: And that's opposed
1: the other way around people are kind of, you know, they, they spend and then they see what's left over and that's, that's not.
0: Right. Uh, this goes to the pay yourself first kind of philosophy. And, and I would imagine with today's technology, it's pretty easy to just automatically pull 20% out every month uh, or every pay period without thinking about it. Like it's gone before you even know you have it.
1: Yeah, it's great to automate these things because if you don't automate it, then then you forget to do it. So, And it's obviously great to automate any kind of savings into your retirement plan. So if you're a solo entrepreneur, um, one of the best ways to lower your taxes and to save for retirement is to set up something called a SEP, a Simple, a simple employ, Employer um, Pension Plan. And it, anyone can do it. I can do it. Um, you just have to sign up with, let's say, a, a broker-dealer like a Charles Schwab. Or a fidelity, and you can set up your own SEP. And what's great about a SEP versus, let's say, an IRA or like a four hundred one is uh, is that it's very simple to set up, and there's actually higher amounts you can save than that are not the typical amounts that you can save in your IRA if you're if you're an entrepreneur. And then, so for example, there's limits on your IRA. I think you can only you can only save um, if it's not a company's sponsored plan, obviously, and there's certain income requirements. You can only put away like $6,000 a year, depending on how old you are. But with a SEP, you can put up to 25% of your operating income or up to
0: $50,000. And then this can help you lower your taxes also, right? Because this is um,
1: tax. Exactly. It's a tax so preferred. To a retirement plan, that income that you're contributing is not taxed. So it lo- lowers your Adjustable Gross
0: Income, your AGI, when you, when you file and fill out your 1040 forms. So now, walk me through. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I come to you and I'm I'm lost. I'm overwhelmed. What are those kind of first conversations uh, with you feel like? Like, what are the, some of the questions you're asking me? Like, do I have to come prepared with all these papers? Like, like how how Hard is that kind of transition from not having a plan to having a plan when you're working with a professional like yourself.
1: Yeah, so if I take an example, um, I have a client I'm, I'm recently starting to work with. Um, it's a husband and a wife together. They have a very successful business, and they're growing. They're growing really well, and they have cash, um, and so they have a lot of cash on the sidelines. And they want to invest in other maybe businesses. They want to invest in maybe some warehousing, real estate assets and um how i think about helping you know guide them um and advising them is that well it's nice to have an investment in real estate let's say if your business there's a warehouse but it's not a very liquid asset Um, but what's great about that kind of investment is that you can take a loan out and you can um, lever up that investment but separately it's not very liquid and so you got to think about this balance between investing for the business, which is great to consider to grow your business, but then if you have cash on the sidelines, it's a great idea to think about you know, investing and, and saving for retirement, um, and so to think about that balance. Now, in this situation, in particular with this couple, you know, I said, you know, what is your game plan for the future of the business? Are you looking to sell it in five years, or are you looking to you know, run it for the next 20 years? And they're definitely focused on that this business is their legacy, is their long-term kind of retirement plan in that sense. So with that said, if they're going to sell this business, let's say in 20 years, um, and I I agree that I think that's going to be very successful, and they can wait when that liquidity event happens for them to think about, you know, that's the money that they're going to use to then, you know, invest and live off that portfolio into their retirement years. So the money that they might invest today is kind of ancillary to the big event that might happen in 15 years.
0: Right. But what you help them kind of hone in on is getting some clarity on what is the outcome they desire, right? Because different people have different objectives. Some people want a big pile of money and they want to give it to all their grandkids and kids. Some people want to have a legacy and they want to have something that's sustaining beyond them. Like everybody has a different objective and it's some of them want, they may want to travel. Some people might want to, you know, volunteer. They have different kind of goals. So if you're not clear on that, it's hard to even start a plan.
1: Yeah, you're right. I, I was just focusing a little bit on too much on the idea of retirement. Most folks in these, in this day and age are really worried about whether they can afford their lifestyle. But so what, what I do is that if you think you're going to retire, let's say in 15 years, Let's think about what your expenses or your how how costly your your retirement will be in fifteen years. Like for example, some of the biggest concerns that most people have is the affordability of healthcare. Well, obviously, at sixty five years old, you can get um, Medicare. But if you feel that your expenses are going to be pretty well, you know, in line with what you're spending today, but there might be some pluses and minuses. We can figure out what those um, what they might look like in the future. And we can then decide at that age. Let's say you're 65 years old, and you have a life expectancy of let's say 30 years. We want to make sure your portfolio and the way that it's invested can support your lifestyle for the next 30 years. Then, whatever that amount is today, which which we can discount and figure out today, if there's something called surplus capital, um, let's say we only need today. Like I don't know. I hate to mention out a huge number, but let's say. We're retiring today. We only need 1.5 million or million to support our lifestyle for the next 30 years. The way that's invested, And we're only pulling, let's say, a $100, dollars 150 thousand dollars off of that portfolio to support our lives. If there's surplus capital, if this couple has you know greater capital than that, then they can think about you know donating to charity, how much they would like to leave for their children, or if they would like to um, you know buy a second home. So, we like to think about first what are their core capital needs just to, just to sustain and support their lifestyle. And then anything above and beyond that is something we call surplus capital. And they can help. And then, then they can think through how they like to spend this excess capital that they might have.
0: Now, when you're working with, uh, especially a new person that's thinking about this for the first time, how hard is it to kind of help them understand risk? And volatility? Because uh, like you said, the stock market every day is up and down and it everybody, you know, every two weeks you read about, oh, we're in a bubble and this bubble is going to collapse. And then everybody's got, um, you know, kind of scar tissue from 2008 and scar tissue from, you know, some people have it from 1985. They have scar tissue from all the big corrections. How do you help people understand that, Over time, the stock market in America is pretty stable over time, but it's not stable on any given day.
1: Yeah. So great points. Great, great, great points. So there's one or two really important um, educational points I need to talk to clients about. The fact that um, if you're staying cash, you're actually running a higher risk that you won't be able to afford your lifestyle because of inflation. So you're actually adding more risk to your future self and living a comfortable lifestyle if you don't invest. Now, obviously, as you mentioned, the stock market goes up and down a lot, but we have to learn and train ourselves to kind of ignore the day-to-day because as you said, obviously we all know that over time, the stock market generally seems to go up. And that is because, I mean, companies are amazing in America, they tend to grow. The economy tends to grow. Yes, there's recessions, but the average time a recession lasts might be 18 months. When we look at this recovery we just had over COVID. Like we had the quickest like depression um, bounce back, I think anyone would have never have a a guessed in a million years. We just experienced it. So what is important through those tough times is to if you have a solid financial plan, you know you don't have to react and sell when everybody else is selling. Um, and that's the that's when a lot of people do a lot of damage to their personal portfolios. But going back to the point, how do you get comfortable with volatility? Well, volatility is something that you only experience in the short time in the short run, right? In the long term, there is no such thing as, as volatility, and that it goes up to the right, as you'd Lee. So it's the idea of just helping people focus on the future and not worrying about the day to day gyrations, and to make sure they understand that if they're sitting way too much cash, that they are actually risking. Um, Not being able to afford their their future lifestyle instead of how to to get them comfortable with risk is to have a solid financial plan, helping them see what their expenses are, what their cost of living is, um, how much income that they need, and how they could, you know, survive any kind of next kind of correction we may have and to show that the, the portfolio will still do okay in good markets and in bad markets and give them a sense of a probability of outcomes on how that portfolio might perform over the next 10, 15 years.
0: Right. And it's ironic because if they're business owners, then they should focus on strategy first. And uh, once they get comfortable around the strategy, then they should be able to kind of handle the ups and downs that are coming from a day-to-day world because that's what's happening in their business every day.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, business owners um, have to deal with their own unique challenges, but it's obviously something that they can control, right? They can decide if there's, you know, a a weak part of their business, they can decide to pivot away from it. They can decide how they want to navigate. The stock market, you're kind of leaving it up to the fact that you can't control that. But what you can control is your reaction to it. So it's best to obviously not do what everyone else is doing (laughs) sometimes. So basically what I'm trying to say is that The only time that people really make some huge mistakes with investing is selling when everyone else is selling and you've got to be able to make sure that you're not doing what everyone else is doing in moments of panic because anyone who makes an emotionally based decision is usually the wrong type of decision to be making. (laughs)
0: So now uh, let's change gears a little bit and talk about your, in terms of your business, um, you decided to get involved with GWBC. What was kind of your strategic thinking in partnering with an organization like that?
1: So I thought it'd be a great opportunity to meet other women business owners who are the decision makers and help them plan for their future selves. So while, as I said in the beginning, Most business owners are so focused on managing their business or their families, their families that they don't really take the time out to put together a plan and invest for the future. So I just joined a a short while ago um, and we've been mostly virtual, but I look forward to hopefully having some in-person events and getting to know some of the other women that I've shared calls with um, and get to know them better on a personal basis to see if I can be helpful to them.
0: Yeah, it's a great organization, and it and it should be philosophically aligned exactly with what you're trying to accomplish. And, and people are looking for those trusted advisors to help them through whatever challenges they have. And GWBC has a lot of folks out there that are doing amazing things, and I think you'll find a lot of uh, folks that really resonate with your message and, and what you have. And it's a great organization to really um, – kind of find a, a bunch of like-minded people that are all grinding every day and trying to help each other kind of lift everybody up.
1: Yeah. And what I love about the organization is that it's not an easy organization to get through in terms of getting approved. And so anyone who's, who's really laser focused on making sure everything is um, organized and up to snuff to get the approval process means that they're very focused on, on growing their business and doing well. And connecting with other women who can help um, help them on their journey of growth. So there's a lot of organizations out there that you, you know women are kind of exploring, like certain things. They're not as further down the process of, of of starting their business as as the women um, in this group. So I that's what I love most about it. Is that these businesses are off and running. They've got a great start, and they just need a little bit more of a boost um, from the network effects that happen with this group.
0: Now, um, when it comes to wealth engagement, you mentioned that um, kind of successful women uh, entrepreneurs are the group that you primarily target. But is there kind of uh, niches within that? Do you work with, um, you know, companies of certain size or a certain maturity? What is the kind of makeup of an ideal client for you?
1: Yeah. So um, I think with anyone who starts a business, um, we focus on a core audience and then we learn um, to pivot a little bit or to broaden our horizons. So my, the beginning stages of my business, um, most of my clients are women business owners, as I mentioned, but also divorcees. So oftentimes um, when when they're married, their husband usually is the main financial decision maker. Well, we know that divorces end up you know, about 50% of the time marriages end up in divorce. And a woman might be like caught off, off guard or offhand, not realizing that they have to manage this portfolio, uh, a retirement portfolio that they gave from their ex-husband, and they need some help um, managing that portfolio. And That's something that I, I, I typically do. But there's also another group that um, I've, I've been really enjoying working with. It's those that are retiring. Um, COVID actually created a lot of um, early retirements for a lot of folks and um you know it's because of covid that helped them realize like why am i working so hard why am i working so long i think i have enough um i think you can take retirement so i help them think through like okay do you have enough um and let's let's go through the plan and figure out how much you how much you need and how you need to be invested to make sure that you can support your lifestyle and so that's been a new avenue for me um and that's that's been great as well so i i'd say that my two Core groups are women who are decision makers who need some help um, navigating this really complex world. And then there's retirees who are approaching this new, completely new you know, stage in life. And they need some, um, you know, again, same thing, financial guidance and investment um, help to help them navigate volatile times and volatile markets.
0: <laughs> right. Because when they're retiring, that's a, there's a whole new... Challenge, a bunch of challenges associated with that that you spent your whole life accumulating and now you got to spend some time um de-accumulating. so that's right. a different mindset of now i have this nest egg now i have to start depleting it but i want to do it in a smart way
1: exactly and investing it in a way that you can sleep well at night because last thing you want to do is invest a nest egg all in equities and then have a big correction happen right <laughs> um, and so yeah it's there's there's a lot of different toggle points we need to think through when, when someone's um, on the verge of retiring.
0: Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing such important work and we appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Leah. I really appreciate this time. It's always so great to communicate openly and in a thoughtful way um, to help educate others that may not be, um, you know, as focused on financial planning and investing as much as I do. And so I hope that I can be helpful to anyone who hears this and please reach out to, to, please feel free to reach out to me anytime. If you have any questions, I could be reached at my email address, which is Tiffany, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y at wealthengagement.com. Or you can always check out my website too at wealthengagement.com.
0: <laughs> Good stuff. Well, Tiffany, thank you again for sharing your story. And that website, one more time, is wealthengagement.com. Tiffany Kent, thank you.
1: Great, thank you, Lee.
0: All right, this is Lee Kent we will see you all next time on GWBC Open for Business.